Hello, it's Jack Tutor here of Attention Magazine. Welcome to Crucial Listening, the podcast where I speak with musicians and sound artists about three albums that are important to them. My guest this time is Cremation Lily, the project of Zen Jigo, the new Cremation Lily record Dreams Drenched in Static is out now on the Flenser. It's an absolute beaut. Zen has a strong affinity with Screamo and wielding tape as well and all the possibilities within that along with electronics and boundless array of textures really. What you realise with this record after being hit in the face by the enormity of the sound is that it's everything's a composite of different experiences different fidelities you have some highly eroded tape on this record which then treats in ways such as tying tapes to the end of the pier you have vocals recorded on the train various different experiences and memories all congealed into something that feels really explosively unified it's a blinder of a record and the Flens is a great label too it's a good pairing so head over to cremationlily.bandcamp.com to hear it and a bunch of other cremation lily releases i'll of course include a load of links in the show notes concerning zen's picks and the new record too and if you want to support the podcast, you can head over to coffee, ko-fi.com forward slash crucial listening. You can donate one off or monthly in order to help support the fees associated and energy exerted in running the show. Thank you so much for your support there and for listening too. Greatly appreciated. Really hope you enjoy this one. I definitely did. This is Cremation Lily on Crucial Listening. Hello Zen, welcome to Crucial Listening. Hey. Thank you for coming on the podcast. We're going to talk about your three important records. I want to start first with Dreams Drenched in Static, which is your new album that's come out on the Flenza. I mean, firstly, I saw actually earlier today that just recently you did a listen-through and a commentary on Ampled. How was that? I find that such an interesting idea and interesting thing for you to to be doing so what was it like so um i actually hadn't listened to the new record um since i'd been listening to it for like approving the test presses oh wow so it was that was the first time i'd properly gone through sat down um and listened front to back to the record so it was definitely it was definitely interesting and it was definitely, I didn't do any edits or anything. It's just like 30 minutes <laughs> unedited of me uh, listening to the record. So it's definitely, um, it was interesting. I kind of 
got absorbed in the in the record a little bit more than I thought I would, and it kind of affected me a little bit more than I thought it would. But um, right, yeah, it was it was really interesting actually, and I, the things that I picked out were. I went into it thinking that I would talk about certain things and I absolutely did not. I got completely distracted with, with other stuff I was noticing on the record. Um, I mean, how has that affected your relationship with it or your your outlook on the record, I guess, confronting it after that long must have been? Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a, um, it's a... It's quite a painful record to listen back to because it's so tied to to last year when it was recorded that it was quite a difficult year you know for the world at large and personally for me as well um and, and the record's so tied into that and so many of the memories of the record and even the sound sources of the record were, were recorded throughout that um that period you know uh, voice notes in uh, voice notes on trains to the other side of the country and stuff like that. They all kind of yeah. made it onto the record. So it really is this immediate kind of transportation for me back to that time. Vocals, actually, I wanted to bring up because I've you know, heard you talk about the fact that this has got your voice on it more to, I guess, not plug the gaps, but you know, occupy the space that I guess would have been otherwise occupied by other aspects of, of mm. what you do. I mean, what was it like recording vocals for this one did you approach it differently or feel differently about it for this record compared to the other stuff you've done yeah i think this is the first one where vocals are part of writing the songs um kind of from the very beginning previously almost all the time when i've done vocals they've been um like i'll have written an instrumental piece and then vocals will either fit or they won't Whereas this, the the songs on Dreams Trenched in Static were all written with the vocals in mind from the start. Um, the, the tracks that do have vocals and the ones that don't, um, they weren't intended to be there. Um, with, the, with a couple of exceptions. So it definitely, the, the vocals and the lyrics especially feel more integral to the record. Um, and as well, listening back to the three records that I picked for, for this podcast, it was quite interesting in that I think they kind of represent my uh, approach to vocals um, huh, pretty right. uh, pretty closely. And mm. I can see where I got a lot of influence. I kind of just picked these records without thinking about it too much. I just wanted to go with just ones that, um, that felt important to me for whatever reason, and then I could kind of figure out why they were important to me through listening back to them. You say that vocals were there at the start. I mean, that's something that goes through my head when I'm listening to this record, which is... Mm that because it's such a like overwhelming splay of sound it's and obviously the melodies are coming through really strong but it's not always obvious to to discern how you may have even started because you know there's not like a uh even your voice is kind of coming in all different directions it's not like a, a central mm-hmm. focal point everything is is you know whirling around so i mean what were or i don't know if this is consistent across the record but what tended to be the first elements along with with voice that acted as mm. your way into these pieces definitely most of the track something like uh, the title track or um wavering blood or um i'm done like most of the um tracks with vocals on the record started with um uh, a sampler that I was using as a drum machine, a string of 
pedals, you know, some tape loops and and vocals. It was the the original demos for each track were super simple and pretty stripped back, mm. um, and that and then as the record progressed. Um, I started to take some of those and as the, you know, as I re-recorded elements and as the songs became a bit more fleshed out and became more of this whirling mass, I began to take some of those original elements and then warping those and stretching those and incorporating right. some of that, um, some of the, the original demos into the final tracks and kind of gives it this through line from the beginning to the end. Um, the, the the building blocks of the track are sort of still there at the end. Yeah, you can yeah. See see the um, see the stitches a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess the kind of opposite end of the spectrum is because it is so like wonderfully saturated, and yet there's loads of like very very specific details that also protrude at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's so it's so obvious. I mean, you know, I when I've I did it on speakers to begin with I think what I'm really connecting with with this record is that it's just a real powerhouse over speakers but then over mm. headphones all the like the cassette plosives and everything those little kinks and crinkles really come through so um how did you know when to stop with each track because there's <laughs> so much that is um, I, I've been yeah. thinking about that recently actually because so I don't know if I've t- spoken about this with anyone but I had a um I set myself a, a end date that I wanted the record to be done by last year uh, and I went over it by a few months and that was primarily because I had a load of shit going on and family stuff but also because I didn't know when it was done you know <laughs> there was times yeah, when I would yeah. I would sit on a song and I'd be like okay well this is this feels like it just doesn't feel right there's something missing Mm. Uh, and for me i was thinking about this recently because i'm 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 working on starting new material at the moment and sort of digging into some collaborative projects and it really is just a feeling i just kind of if something isn't done then it just niggles at me and feels like it isn't done Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know it'll it'll come back to haunt me i might feel like it's done but a week later it will be there niggling in the back of my head so Mm. They're just dumb when I can stop thinking about them, really. Oh, right. Wow, there just becomes a moment where you're like, okay, uh, that's not haunting my thoughts. Like, that must that <laughs> yeah, must feel exactly. complete. Wow, okay, that's so interesting. Yeah. I mean, it depends on the project, definitely. Um, collaborative work is sometimes more dictated by um, time limits or um, by, you know, different limits um, through the collaborative process. But um, for solo stuff... It, if I don't have like a strict time limit, I'll just kind of keep keep listening and keep sitting on things until they feel right. One other question here I wanted to touch on is your beats because mm. they sit so nicely. Again, there's so like I said countless times, <laughs> there's so much going on, and yet the beats they're really embedded within mm. it, right? They 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 feel really intrinsically tied to everything. Um, was there a different approach that you? put into practice here or do you feel like that you went new places with with the way that you were constructing the rhythm aspect of these pieces yeah the the rhythm actually was like something like the title track that was Mm. one of the first um one of the first songs that i started and one of the first songs that i demoed for the record and and definitely a track that i've had in mind for for a good few years now and i just always had this idea of uh, um this like really 
pounding just industrial drum machine mixed with uh, shoegaze and screamo and you know it was it was this influence from different genres of music that kind of influenced the rhythms on on the album more mm. so um whereas before i was always kind of stuck within i was often stuck within looping a lot more um mm-hmm. and this album has more variation as it goes on because i used a, a sampler for the last couple of um for the last couple of creation recordings i've used uh a Roland sampler for the drum machine. So um, I kind of, as I've been figuring out how to use that as well, the uh, <laughs> the beats have become a bit more non-linear and a bit more complex as well. So I was able to give more focus to, to rhythm and percussion um, on these songs. Mm. Well, I could ask about all aspects of this record. I think it's one that just invites so much curiosity around process, but yeah, yeah, yeah. There's 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 a lot of stories to be told about the um, just the little things that are on the record. But yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, people should definitely check out the record and I guess formulate their own questions. And like, mm-hmm. it's so lovely. So I'm going to put a link in the show notes. That people should 100% check it out. Like I say, it's on the the Flenser. But um, then let's go to your important records now. And before I get to the records specifically. I'd like to ask about how you thought about the term important when picking this list. I think mm-hmm. you said you picked them relatively quickly, right? So, I mean, was there a guiding thought behind it important that you can think of that defined why you picked these three? <laughs> so, I mean, first off, I should say I know absolutely nothing about these records, really. I, d- I didn't... <laughs> I, 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 I did no research. Um, but I just wanted to go with... When someone asked me what are three important records to you, I just wanted to like browse through my collection, look through my records and CDs and tapes and my digital collection, and I just picked out three that that felt right and three that I knew if I listen back to these, I'll find out why they're important to me. You know, <laughs> nice, yeah, for sure. That's um, great. So yeah, I just did that. I did that. Um, so I don't know what one we want to get into first. Um, is there one that makes sense for you, like chronologically think, in your life, or yeah, maybe we could do chronologically. So I definitely would have heard um, Appleseed Cast first. Can you recall how that came about? So I, I was thinking about this um, yesterday, and I definitely had a, and this is the same with with a lot of Deep Elm Records, which is the record label that released um, Low Level Hour Volume One, which is the Appleseed Cast. Um, album I chose so I think I was given a burnt CD that had uh, about half of Low Level Hour Volume 1 and most of Planes Mistaken for Stars self-titled <laughs> EP wow. um, I think I was given that in high school probably when I was about 15 16 um, and so that would have been when I first heard not all of but some of this record (laughs) Uh, and the the tracks that I had on that CD um, really stick out to me still on the album but what what I love about Low Level Owl um, and it is a two-part album but I just chose the first volume here because I mean if it's the two-part album that's over I think it's almost two hours in in total so I just went for the first volume Mm -hmm. Um, and, and what 
sticks out to me is how important each track is as an individual piece, but then it also plays into the whole. So it's kind of ironic that I was given um, <laughs> just, a, just a few <laughs> of the tracks completely out of order. Obviously, I didn't get any of the interesting textural right. um, pieces or anything like that. <laughs> Wow, that's so interesting that you got it in that context. <laughs> yeah, yeah, quite a lot of music around that time was uh, was kind of in that context. Thursday is another band that I found through being um, handed a, a burnt CDR. Were you giving burnt CDRs back as well at this time? No, no, I didn't have the uh, I didn't have the capabilities until many years later, <laughs> <laughs> and that's when I started like burning CDs of like my own music and things. Right, right, gotcha. So with the Appleseed cast, I mean. When you first were listening to them, I mean, where were you approaching them from? Like, how, what kind of things were you listening to? I was definitely coming in. So it was a, it was a, definitely a couple of years after the record came out. Um, initially, I think it probably would have been around two thousand three, two thousand four. I think, um, mm. and I was coming at it as a fan of. Uh, I, I had quite eclectic music taste i suppose growing up i just kind of was a fan of what i had access to so i had access to my parents um, record collection um which had a lot of it had um prog rock in it it had um like electronica artists aphex twin was in there um bjork was in there sade um loads and loads of different music that just always stuck with me and and i think kind of influenced my tastes as i went forward Mm. um so that's kind of how i was coming into it i was definitely aware of emo and like the sort of the explosion that was happening at the time um with thursday were one of my favorite bands at the time uh, and were probably like a real recent like you know six months before i heard apsy cast i just had thursday and they'd become my favorite band is Mm. probably the um the setting for this and was it one that you liked straight away then when you heard this the whole record yeah absolutely when i I, again i can't remember when i got the whole record it probably was i bought a lot of um very cheap cds from deep home records back in the day they would do these crazy sales where they would send you like 20 random cds uh, with wow. no cases for like ten dollars or something or fifteen dollars or something ridiculous like that so, I, so I got good. i got so many deep on records that way and that, that was almost certainly how i got low level out of volume one and two um and volume one yeah i mean as soon as you as soon as i put it on uh, and as soon as i listened back to it the other day i was just hooked straight into it it's uh it really is quite an arresting record um and it has so many it has so many moving parts while being um, relatively simple and, and deceptively simple. It, it's quite a beautiful thing. So, yeah, so it sounds like there was a few records floating around this time that sound like they fall in a similar sort of zone. Yeah, you, definitely. I mean. Yeah, this yeah. was kind of the... This was kind of maybe the one that opened my mind up the most in terms of um musical like eclectism and and freedom Mm. um and just focusing on on texture and and the other thing that i absolutely love this record for and, and what i think it's um, like I said, I didn't do any research. I don't know what the critical were. <laughs> I know that I know this record's a classic and people like it, but like yeah. 
the vocals are incredible in terms of how they work as their own instrument um, mm. on this album and how they, you know, there's not verses and choruses, so to speak. There really are these these movements in the vocals that just add and extend parts of the, you know, of the instrumentals. So it, it's, a, it's a great way, and I think it, it kind of opened me up almost to that shoegaze way of thinking of... Um, mm of sound and vocals of sort of blurring things a little bit and um and of um using typically big bold you know like vocals using those instead of instead of as at the forefront using them as a, a supporting feature yeah well it's really interesting actually the vocals on this one because uh you know i was huge into post rock and a lot mm. of these the guitar tones and just as well the like melodic refrains feel so like nostalgically reminiscent of a lot of bands in that era at that time right but yeah definitely always instrumental so it's so Mm -hmm. weird to hear a voice amidst that and function so beautifully as well because i I think in my teen years i sort of convinced myself that they just didn't have vocalists because you couldn't and also have guitars working so intricately Mm -hmm. and you know what you know i don't know but yeah it 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 works really really well amongst everything yeah there's a there's a real sense of like the the vocals when they come in they 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 mark something there's this change in 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 um kind of adds this new textural element to the songs um and the songs that don't have vocals as well don't feel any less for having them because they have so many of their own interesting textures and layers and um it really feels like this this flowing album and i'm i mean i know deep elm isn't renowned for being a great label i'm sure people i'm sure absolutely cast absolutely hate them um but but um and I don't know what the deal is with splitting it across two albums. Obviously, it's it's almost two um, hours in length if you combine it all together, which is yeah, it is kind of a lot, especially for a label that was primarily dealing in CD back in the day. Right, um, yeah. But it really feels like like it doesn't feel like okay, we we want to get out of a deal. We've got two albums left. Uh, <laughs> let's just split this thing up with mm-hmm. with um, instrumentals and extend this with like post rock parts and stuff it, it feels like from the beginning it was intended to be this really interesting at the time anyway 2001 when it was released this really unique um kind of melting of of um, post-rock and um and emo and all the influences that Appleseed cast came in with um like their first record is is such an obvious mineral uh, sort of homage uh, by the time they get to this record, it's incredible the, the journey that it's gone on. You say that this one had like a particularly big impact in terms of where it took you in terms of how like eclectic it is. You mentioned the the kind of shoegaze instigation there as well. Mm, yeah. um, where else did this record take you? Like after discovering it, where where did you go? So I definitely dug in more to the record label. I was always that 
kid that was like I, I was interested in finding out what else was on record labels that I liked or totally, you know, yeah. artists that were on record labels I had lots of disappointments of course <laughs> right, yeah, come on. <laughs> the, 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 the band that I like is like the one good band on this label um, <laughs> but there was loads of ways in which I found lots of my favorite music so just through discovering Deep Elm Records it opened me up to some of my favorite bands like Benton Falls and Settlefish and um the older Apple II cast records. And then it, it, it also took me off into that world of when I was a teenager anyway, that, that kind of blurry world between shoegaze and post-rock that I couldn't quite mm. understand at the time, which now makes a lot more sense to me. Um, yeah. But um, I was listening to a lot of Slow Dive not long after this, definitely. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, slow Dive, when the sun hits, I think is probably the most direct um record that i could see as sort of a lineage of this for my for my um discovery i also want to return to the this this burnt cd because oh yeah yeah because planes mistaken for stars are a big one for you as well right so that yeah, cd definitely. really um really delivered i mean yeah i had i also before that it's weird i've got these um i've got so many things where i had these burn or like home recorded uh, like tapes and cds that were so influential i also had another one that was um had black metal on one side a tape that had black metal on one side and um apex twin on the other side <laughs> so that was that, that was really influential as well that was around the same time oh wow that's so good i mean do you think that any of your desire to amalgamate genres comes from just having all these styles in such close Kinship yeah, like this. and I and I also I never I've never been someone who's become a fan of a genre mm-hmm. as a whole. I've always just taken what I love from the bands that I love, and I, I think there's like a, a through line between the stuff that um, I kind of draw together. Uh, and I've always, I felt that way as well, like years ago when I was creating more like diverse work with cremation early it still felt like cremation early to me there was no reason that it should be something else Mm. um and i think i get definitely get that inspiration from not only the creative evolution of bands like appleseed cast um but also um just that eclectic taste that i was taking in and i think as well the time it was pre-internet well it wasn't pre-internet the internet was about but it was pre-home internet for me right um and i was kind of just taking in what i had and and they kind of became my taste really hmm. and do you have a favorite track on this one oh so i did try and think of a, a favorite track earlier i definitely think messenger is is one that's a um i believe that's an instrumental track that i absolutely love and then signal at the end mm. um is this really it influenced quite a lot it fades into a field recording at the end um mm. and that influenced um the penultimate song on dream strange synthetic a little bit i realized i don't know if it I, it didn't directly influence it but the oh, that's uh, so cool. <laughs> the the ninth out of ten songs on dream strange synthetic does the, a very similar thing at the end of the climax so there's pretty much a direct uh, you know it made a it made an impact on me in some way
Okay, Zen, let's go to your second important record then. So we're going yeah. chronologically. What's that? So I guess the next one would be Welcome the Plague Year, um, the self-titled mm. album. And this is just like, for me, uh, I would have received it. I definitely got the retail CD of it. So it was either Christmas, around Christmas 2004 or Christmas 2005. It was probably Christmas 2005. Um I was sent a song from it. I can't remember exactly what track it is. I think it's a Craft Messenger right in the middle of the album, mm-hmm. um, which is probably one of the most um, immediate tracks, which kind of makes sense why I was into it. Um, so I was sent that track on MSM Messenger, um, and this was <laughs> the same person, um, my friend Leighton, growing up, he was a bit older, and he kind of influenced me with, with sort of, this stuff, Screamo, and so he sent me bands like um, Ampere and Orchid, Jerome's Dream, Reversal of Man, Off Minor, um, and Welcome the Plague Gear. So to me, they all came into my life uh, at the same time. They were all on kind of equal footing to me. So Mm. to me, Welcome the Plague Gear, this album is like the greatest Screamo album of all time that I very rarely hear anyone talk about. So I wanted to kind of bring a bit of bring a bit of attention to it because i think it's absolutely incredible yeah yeah i mean this is the thing so i'd not heard of them and you know i don't know loads about screamo to be honest as well i kind of skimmed it but Mm. they released one record right and that was that was it they did seemed like a couple of splits and stuff right yeah yeah a couple of splits and this record um and i think that's pretty much it yeah um (laughs) i don't know how easy this is to articulate but why is it the best screamo record in the world well, uh, I mean, from I mean, it starts with feedback and a sample, so I'm I'm fully interested from the very beginning. Um, right. I think so. There's two ways in in which I think that it's 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 a, just an incredible record. There's a personal significance to me in that I think that it was one of the first things that I heard where I was like, where the where the vocals felt like something that I could do. And something that I could feel comfortable doing and oh. could be a, like this cathartic release that I needed. Like it was like I'd been drawn to playing guitar and, you know, I still play guitar and I still suck at it. And I, I was drawn to playing keyboard and, you know, I still play keyboard. I'm not that much better at that either. But like um, like vocals and, and screaming and, you know, the types of vocals that I was hearing in these bands felt like something that, really connected with me and it was it was definitely something that um that inspired me to later be in um heavy screamo bands um the other reason i think it's great is because the heavy parts are ultra heavy super mournful um they're just full of of vocals that are sometimes panned sometimes overlapping each other in the center Uh, it has these huge crushing moments but the contrast on the album is just better than, I, for me, it's just better than anyone else has managed to do in terms of in terms of screamo. Right. The the, um, the swimmy modulated cleaner guitar parts are almost like uh, for me definitely the most memorable on the record, and like a, a track like uh, "Humming to a Dead Song," for example, um, which yeah. has this like really swimmy modulated guitar um that leads into this ultra heavy build-up 
it really has this like it has this memorable aspect to it because of the contrast and the the dynamics of the album it's it's not like a, a wall of sound that pummels you at all times the contrast is, is really important to it and yeah and that stuck with me as well yeah it feels like it, it reminds me of like slint record or something the the dynamics yeah, are like yeah. that vast and the production isn't far off either no yeah it definitely has um definitely i can see i can see um how you can make that connection so how how old were you when you discovered this one uh i think i would have been 16 16 17 probably 16 and then i think when i was 17 um i was in a screamo band so it, <laughs> wow. it didn't it didn't take long <laughs> wow and what's your relationship been like with this record since like has it always stuck with you have you kind of ebbed and flowed with it no it's always been my if anyone asks me what my favorite screamo band is or or in general what some of my favorite heavy music is this album will always be pretty high up there i think like there's a, a run of tracks i mean if if i have one criticism of criticism of the album you could probably take off the final track because it's as the the track title says improv one take one it's kind of a, a nine minute potential in studio improv it's a good track right. in its own right but i would probably take that off to make the album perfect but the run of songs from i mean it's hard to choose but the run of songs from like the end of quiet still dead which is the fourth track into the 10th track is just this incredible up and down left right this this amazing ride that it takes you on um and it's just yeah a great run of tracks uh that i don't think has been beaten really hmm does that narrative element of this record, do you think that informed how mm. you thought about Screamo as well? Yeah, definitely. And and this is a record that has those, those um, something that is a bit of a, a trope in Screamo, the sort of like distorted um, samples of spoken word and protest. <laughs> and um, But it really feels like it, it's like the selections were important to this record and they're given their own space and their own time on the record. Um, and I think that definitely like the aesthetics and the sound and the presentation of this definitely influenced what I thought, what I was trying to create in Screamo um, as well. So it sounded like a lot of other records were coming in from a friend at this time. You mentioned MSM Messenger. I mean, yes, yes, yes. Are there other records from... <laughs> <laughs> we all did it. Like, oh, so such many. Me. <laughs> um, okay, well, so I used um, I used Kazaa, like, twice. And <laughs> once I tried to download Thursday, and I, and, I, and I actually got a song from a band called Hope's Fall, um, right, who, okay. became, who became a band that I actually really liked, and that's how I discovered them. Wow. Um, and then I was also sent a lot of... Um, like along with like heavy music i was also getting really into like electronic and ambient music mm. um kind of on my own at the same time so i got a lot of like i i downloaded like apex twin albums and uncle records and um boards of canada and stuff like that and mm -hmm. I was, and, and um i definitely sourced a uh, sweet boards of canada ripped cd of whatever the newest record was um, at the time <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I listened to an interview the other day. You talked about having like a really poor rip of a Boards of Canada record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very um, low quality. It was probably like 100, you know, 128 kbps or something on burnt to a burnt to a cdr um really tinny very tinny audio quality <laughs> is what i remember <laughs> yeah i don't know about you because you said you were 16 but it's just it's not anything i i just didn't didn't hear it like that no, no. Then, right and, and i hadn't heard what the songs were meant to sound like to me that was right, that's true <laughs> to me that was what they were meant to sound like and, and also that that um, that warping of music as I was getting into it, I think definitely influenced some of the ways in which I process sound now. I, I am drawn oh. to those lo-fi and those crackly textures. And are there other, you said like a lot of Screamo records were coming your way mm. at this time too. Um, I mean, were, were you into Screamo much before you heard this record? No, no, this was one of the early ones I heard. It was this, um, Off Minor, Reversal of Man, Orchid. Those are definite bands that I remember being sent to me mm. um, around that time. And then um, and then we started a band shortly thereafter. It was kind of, you know, someone was showing me these bands to get me into them so we could start a band together. Oh, much. was that right? <laughs> I, think, well... I think that's what it was right. in retrospect. We did, we did very shortly thereafter start a band together. So I assume that's what it was was that's so um cool. so yeah it was a lot of that stuff um orchid has always stuck with me and pair as well which is, is the same guitarist um like those bands kind of all came in at the same time they're all on equal footing to me a band like off minor um or mm. welcome the plague gear who aren't as maybe as remembered as orchid or jerome stream to me they're just as important um and if not more so, because like this, this Welcome to Plague Your album is is top tier for me and still influences a lot of stuff that I do. And this is maybe a cruel question because you've made <laughs> reference to the fact that they're like there's such a, like a seamless stretch in the middle of the record. But is there a track that protrudes for you as a favorite? Oh, a favorite. That is a very good question. So I think. I think Craft Messenger, as I was listening back to it, I, listened, I actually listened to the record um, through three times today. Oh, wow. Uh, I just, I listened to it once and I was like, damn, that is so good. But I didn't think about it at all. It just it just was on and I was like, I need to sit and listen and actually actively listen to this now. Um, <laughs> so I think Craft Messenger is probably still my favourite track. I think it was one of the first that I heard and it's, probably one of the most immediate tracks on the record um it has just these big heavy riffs um has these fast dynamic changes i'd say yeah craft messenger is probably one of my favorites and and if i could take an, a track off of it <laughs> i would take uh, improv one take one off well it is a nice track in its own right i don't think uh, i think of the bridges is, is a better closer to the record Okay, then let's go to your final 
important record. So if you could give me the name of it to begin with. Uh, so it is Appropriation by Everyday Loneliness, um, mm. I believe released in 2008-2009. So this would have been one that I would not have heard upon release or close to release. It definitely was a couple of years after this that I, I started diving into the underground deep enough to find Everyday Loneliness. And for me, this was a choice based on kind of who heads up this project because it is a solo project um mm -hmm. it's the same person uh that is in um kind of more well-known um noise and experimental groups like pedestrian deposit uh has a project called emaciator as well which is um one of mine and also uh like you say uh, one of our a mutual friends Dean knifed out of existence I believe one of their favorite um, noise projects as well so right um, everyday loneliness is basically um, is basically this really unique and in interesting project that when I heard it I had definitely heard things that were similar to it I'd heard um, you know things like disintegration loops uh -huh. and, and um, I'd heard the obvious ambient touchstones Eno and I dived into that world because I've been interested in, in electronic music for a while up to that point. Um, but this was the first time that I'd heard something that felt so hands-on and tangible. Like you could really feel the like cracks and the creaks mm. within each loop. And it's just so imperfect. And so it feels so minor. Um, <laughs> yeah. It, it feels like a take project, which which is what it was originally. You know, um, it's now available on Bandcamp and Spotify, but it was originally a take release. Uh, and for me, that's kind of a, a glorious, hazy quality that I love when something can be so specific and so singular um, and can just be a moment in time. You know, mm -hmm. and here the, the title gives it away, appropriation. I mean... I don't know the source of some of these loops or really any of them, but they're not original. You know, they would have been taken from something else, but the way that everyday loneliness um, kind of stretches and chops these loops, turns them from what they originally were to something that has its completely own identity. And um, there's a real fingerprint of the maker on these tracks. The choice of what to loop is so interesting. Like, I think this is the first one I put on of the stuff that you sent mm. through. And it was the first one I chose, actually. Oh, uh, was it? Was, That's interesting. It was just, I was thinking about tape work, and I was thinking, where does my, like, the way that I work with tape and the way that I, the, the sound of tape that I enjoy, I wonder where that comes from. And I was kind of backtracking a little bit, going through some of my tapes and going through some of my records, and this was one that stuck out to me. That first track has got like that slide on the mm. guitar, which sounds when you first hear it, you're like, I don't know if I can hear that too many times. <laughs> yeah, and then it's and then you and then you hear it for like, yeah, you hear it for like six minutes, and right. it's just absolutely <laughs> heartbreaking. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, I mean, wow. the, the album is deeply sad. It, it, to me, it's incredibly isolated and. And very, um, and very, like I say, it's singular in its in its obsessive focus. You know, it's 
it's it's tape loops and to be honest i don't even know if some of them are tape loops they sound like they've been looped digitally and there's not even been any cleaning up done on the start of the digital loop so it clicks every time which mm-hmm. you know like to me that's just part of the charm of this it feels like a product of like an emotion or a moment mm. as opposed to um something that's been tinkered on and over overdone and um over processed it really feels like a a session and these are just the loops that felt right regardless of whether they're you know they're in key together or regardless of whether they um regardless of whether they um wash together in the most pleasing way these are just the loops that make sense in this moment it felt like i mean the 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 idea of tidying them up feels so at odds with the despondency of of what's going (laughs) on right yeah 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 I i i think it's um and, and that influenced me a lot as well. And, and the reason I chose this one, not only was it because it's important in terms of the way that I like to hear tape, but it's also important, I think, in terms of like opening me up to this underground world that led to where I am now. You know, I, I've, I've, in 2011, probably the same year I heard this, uh, I started a, a tape label um, huh. and and was releasing music that was, you know, akin to this, inspired by this and adjacent to this, uh, yeah, shortly thereafter. When you say it informed how you'd like to hear tape, I think you've touched on, like, why that is. feels very hands-on, but, yeah, what is it about... I wonder if we can drill into it. Like, what what is it about this record that informs or, or displays how you like to to hear tape so i think what i love about tape so much um what i might love about this is it's just so immediate you know you can you can record your own music to tape for the cost of it to find an old shit tape deck and a couple of cheap tapes you know it's it's not um there's no gear requirement really there's no cost um, associated with it, it really is as simple as as you know, grab a Walkman, grab a dictaphone, start recording, um, and the way that you can physic and the way that you can physically interact with tape, stretch it, pull it, scuff it, loop it, um, is something that I love about it and one of the appeals to it, um, and is definitely shown on this. Um, on this record what it, something that's on this record that it's kind of like a, a both a pet peeve and something that i really love is when you can hear a tape loop that has been just to get nerdy for a second when you can hear a tape loop that's not, that's been recorded after it's been made into a loop basically right. so if right. you cut a tape loop from a, a long piece of recording and then loop it it'll be a pretty seamless loop because there's no stop or start record point whereas if you record onto a a loop that you've made and you just click you know stop and start on your dictaphone or on your tape deck there'll be a a, a hard stop there and that is in every single track on this <laughs> on this um on this album and it's like i know what that feeling is because sometimes you just have this idea for a loop and you don't want to have to go through the whole process of dubbing it you just want to do it quick and dirty and just like get it out of your system you know yeah um and that's why i love this album it just feels like this freeing of these ideas and this freeing of this sort of singular obsession obsession um 
and yeah definitely I, i've been working on some ambient tape work again recently and so many of my like tastes in um ambient work they come from the obvious sources um but they also really heavily come from from this stuff and mm. and the idea of using um ambient music to portray bleakness um yeah. and loneliness is really quite powerful when up to that point you know i'd mostly heard eno giving uh, you know giving us music for airports right yeah exactly so we talked about with appleseed cast that was a half a burnt cd uh mm. work on the play gear was msm messenger you mentioned picking up on this one because it was adjacent to the projects by you know the the person behind this one so mm. how were you coming into music what was your main mode of discovery when you were getting into this one in you know 2011 2012 i think you said yeah i think it probably now i'm thinking about it i lived in a shared house with my old bandmates in 2010 and that's definitely when i first started diving into a lot of this stuff um so um i'm not sure how I, how I'm not sure who showed me this. It was definitely a self-discovery. This was the first one that I think I discovered myself, and I was coming into it having been in a screamo band since 2006. Um, so you know we'd been going for a while, and we had records out. Um, we were a touring band. Um, I had like projects that I was working on myself of you know like noise projects and um clandestine <laughs> black metal projects <laughs> and all this all the sorts of things that you do when you're when you're um, <laughs> when you're living in a shared house with your your friends that make music <laughs> um uh so this one came to me during that period where i was just kind of like making my own music and really getting into just recording my own experiments i remember not long after I heard this uh, and discovered Everyday Loneliness as a project, I recorded um, some of the earliest cremationally stuff that was quite influenced by this in terms of um, looping and in terms of atmosphere and texture. Do you think your relationship with tape or your attraction to tape has changed at all since those early experiments? Like, do you think about it differently? Are you drawn to different parts of it? Yeah, again, this is something I was thinking about recently. So tape has changed a lot, you know, since I started um, using it. I was... The, the reason I was using it literally is it was so, so, so cheap <laughs> compared to anything else. Um, and you could physically interact with it. That's that's what I've always loved about it. You know, you can pull tape out, you can bake it in the sun, you can, you know, cut it up and re-splice it back together. That's always been that physical aspect and being able to hear that physical 
damage to the tape or that physical manipulation to the tape has always been something that's that's kept me coming back to cassette mm. now that it's kind of this world of like instagram boutique and like <laughs> four tracks are on ebay for you know 700 quid or something it just it does lose some of it. it's like um it's like unwanted discarded appeal to me mm. but you know i don't I'm not in those worlds and I'm just kind of whittling away with some of the same old crappy tape loops that I've been <laughs> using for years and, you know, the same <laughs> the same modified players that, you know, the engine doesn't work very well and it, it <laughs> stutters and stops half the time. And, you know, I'm kind of just, I'm in this world where I'm kind of creating my own work um, with knowledge of what's happening outside, but cremation is always... And when I work on cremation, I've always tried to keep it fairly self, self-reflective self and something that kind of reflects who I am and what I'm going through as, as a person at the time. So whatever I'm listening to definitely has a, you know, definitely has an impact. And I think, you know, all three of these albums, in terms of the music that I made um, going forward and the music that I'm still making, they all had a pretty huge impact on me awesome well zem thank you so much for talking about all of them and your record as well um it's been great i've had a really good time with these and i know i'll listen to them again after this and have a renewed listening experience so thank you yeah my pleasure thank you so much for taking the time and to everyone listening see you next time goodbye